Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal worship service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. this morning is from Proverbs chapter 21, verse 3. To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. This proverb brings to light one of the great truths about the Old Testament law. It is also one of the great stumbling blocks of humanity. Our God is more concerned with real truth than the appearance of truth. Our God is more concerned with real sincerity than with shows of faithfulness. The stumbling stone here lies in the fact that sincerity and truth very often take on humble realities. Righteousness and justice are occasionally the center of attention, front and center, but frequently they happen in the background. It's the engine that's running underneath the hood. It's what's going on in the, behind the scenes. When God calls on a mother to discern between her children's squabbles, it's not a glorious task. There's not praise for her in it. In fact, she's just got two frustrated children. When God calls on a brother or, or one of you kids, when you guys are fighting with, with each other, and he, he calls on you to own up to your sin, it's not easy and it doesn't bring great applause. But that is righteousness. When God calls a husband to love and serve his wife, even though he's tired or frustrated, it's challenging. When God has us go through the trial of making our sins right and accepting justice is both a heavy burden and humbling, but it is right and just. The problem with our hearts is that we want to escape justice. We will allow sin in order to not have to go through the work and pain of dealing with it. We will glory in our sacrifices putting on a show of righteousness and justice without the reality. We'll seek the praise or the pity of men because we fear their condemnation. But our God sees in the dark. He sees in the recesses of our heart. And it is written that whatever is done in secret will be made manifest. It is his condemnation that we should fear. When we allow men or social pressures or our own preferences to stand between us and full and complete obedience to our God, we're in danger of incurring his wrath and his righteous judgment. And when this happens, we are the first to point out all the sacrifices that we've made, but God is more interested in integrity than sacrifice. Sacrifices amount to the returning to God of what is already his as a token 
that we acknowledge that it is all already his. But sacrifices are hypocritical if we have already failed to acknowledge this truth by lacking in righteousness and justice. If all of our stuff belongs to God and we belong to him, we must do what he commands us to do. And this requires both humility and reserve and resolve. When God came to earth, he showed us the way. He came as a baby to a poor couple from a small town in a conquered land, and to top it off, he was born in a stable. That's humility. But he also came with the resolve to stick it through to the bitter end. Never once did Jesus waver from righteousness, mercy, or justice. Even in the face of the temptations of the devil, the pressures of those in power, the ridicule of enemies, or the face of death. This reminds us of our need to confess our sins, so if you're willing and able, please kneel. receiving of gifts. That's, that's what Advent's about, right? This is understandable, but it's not quite accurate. Advent is all about the season before Christmas. This is a season of anticipation, but it's also a penitential season. John the Baptist was sent before Jesus. His job is to prepare the way of the Lord, according to Isaiah. And John's message was a message of repentance. Not only this, but his very lifestyle spoke of restraint. He lived in the desert. He was hairy. He ate locusts and wild honey. And he wore a camel skin and a leather belt. John was an ascetic. He was like a monk living in the desert, like some of the medieval monks. The word Advent means to come in Latin. Israel spent 400 years in a spiritual desert, desperately desiring the coming of the Messiah. 
This was the intertestamental period. It's the time between the speaking of the prophets in the Old Testament and the glorious gospel in the New Testament. The Jews wanted deliverance from oppressors. And they wanted revelation from God. But it was a long time coming. This was a hard season. And here in the season of Advent, we celebrate the imminent revelation from God, the actual revelation of God in the flesh, and the fulfillment of all His covenant promises of blessing and grace to His people and the world. But God precedes that revelation. He precedes Christmas with the reminder that we need Christmas. God is holy, and we are sinners. God precedes Christmas with a warning from John the Baptist, and a dire one, a dire one at that. John starts out breathing fire, speaking of the wrath to come. Luke chapter 3, verse 7. Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Well, just consider for a moment. Here you are, a bunch of Jewish people. You've been waiting for the Messiah for 400 years. You've heard that there's a new prophet in town. I mean, this hasn't happened for a while. He's wild. He's living out in the desert. desert. He's baptizing people. He's fulfilling the prophecies of Isaiah. But Isaiah says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain brought low, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. That's the text that comes immediately prior to, to, to verse 7. That's what John is. John is a fulfillment of the prophecy. And so you go out to see this promise of salvation for yourself. And John doesn't beat around the bush. You show up, and he starts calling you names and threatening you. Brood of vipers, you're a bunch of snakes. Why are you here? Who warned you about what's coming? There's wrath coming. This is a different approach to evangelism, if you think about it. We, we live in a culture that doesn't like personal confrontation. In fact, our society doesn't even like the implication of disagreement. This is evident in the high priority of political correctness, which also often is a cloak for, how dare you state the obvious? Because the truth is that the obvious is obviously ugly and shameful and sinful. But polite society in our culture won't cause us to feel shame for our sin. Watch the jaws drop if you call sodomites what they are, or when you call abortionists murderers, or fornicators, fornicators and adulterers. Now, for some reason, there are permissible outlets. I mean, they, people understand, okay, well, people have to have their opinions, and, and you can talk about it in one of those, those okay places to talk about it. 
You can talk about it like on a right-wing website or behind closed doors with people who are on the exact same page as you. But let it get out in public and be ready for persecution. You have violated the culture's God of multiculturalism and pluralism and relativism. So we cow ourselves and we hide. But that's not John's style. He doesn't care about these false gods because they're not gods. John isn't exactly what we would call seeker-friendly. He's bold and very different from what these crowds were used to. Remember how the crowds marveled at Jesus' teaching? Because he taught with authority and not as the scribes? Similarly here, John convicts with authority. This is in opposition to how the Jewish scribes and rabbis taught. They would have intense and heated scholarly arguments and debates about the fine points of the law. You know, you had to tithe on your mint and your cumin. You had to, you, you could only walk a Sabbath day's journey. You, you could only do this, you could only do that. They, they had all these intense rules of how, how you're supposed to do everything. But at the same time, there were conflicting opinions about the application. The Pharisees were pretty rigid about it. The Sadducees were pretty loose about it. And it was all given in this context of a scholarly debate, which means that, well, we're not sure what we think about it. I mean, isn't, doesn't this start to sound familiar? I mean, when, it, when it's anything that's, that's a, a, a current debate, people don't like light and truth. They don't like people standing up and saying it how it is because the Word of God says it's that way. They want it to be softened. But not John. John speaks boldly and directly. And this is because John was a man who was filled with a message from God. Back in verse 2, we, we read, The word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. John had the Holy Spirit. John spoke truth because he could speak no other than the truth. John was bold because he had the truth. He was, he was nothing. He was merely a messenger. But he was an ambassador of the Most High God. So he was bold to speak the truth. And his message was a message of wrath and coming judgment. So there you are, a bunch of Jews, chewed out by the prophet. The next thing he tells you is that repentance is not fruitless and excuses are no good. Luke 3, verses 8 and 9. Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear fruit, good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So repentance is not fruitless and excuses are no good. John is not naive. He knows the human heart. He knows our proclivities to make excuses for who and what we are. For the Jews, there was a tendency to, to point to the ancestry. We have Abraham as our father. We have Moses and the law. That, that was our qualification for deserving the Messiah. That was
was the cultural norm. That's what, that's what they were told to base their hopes and their faith on. That was the God of their system. But, but we're the chosen people. Of course we're going to be saved, right? And John's saying, no. That hope was a false hope. And he says, that is a no-go. God judges every tree for its own fruit. And you cannot rely on the righteousness of ancestors. God will judge them on their righteousness, and he will judge you on yours. And again, this is evident in our culture. Our cultural norms are very far from the Jews, somewhat. But people buy into the lies of the gods of our system. The God of post-modernity. And they think that people are basically good. And that the truth is relative. That's, that's what post-modernity says. Is okay, so... You know, we can't just make everybody cookie cutter. So let's just say that everybody's good and everybody's story is equally relevant and, and everybody's truth is true. What's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. Because that way nobody's stepping on anybody toe, anybody's toes. Because my opinion is just as valid as yours. So some people rely on that. They say, okay, that you, can, you, can, you can say that the true God is the true God. That's true for you. But it's not absolute. Another false god in our system is the god of science. The white lab coats say that men are merely overdeveloped monkeys. So there is no biblical god or wrath to come. Any wrath that's coming is of our own making. We are just, we're just, you know, evolved monkeys. That's all, that's all we are. Another god who people place their hopes in is the state. People believe that government needs to deal with the problems of our society. And then the government is landed with the responsibility to provide jobs and health care and food. Because our government is benevolent and good. Another god is convenience. And there are thousands of babies sacrificed to this god every day. In answer to these false gods, we must proclaim with John that they are false hopes. And they will not save. In fact, they increase our damnation. Truth is not relative. God is truth, and God is absolute, and he is holy, and he has revealed himself in one way, in one person, and that is Jesus Christ. And he will judge. And his justice is absolute. Moreover, we are not monkeys with bigger brains or more sophistication. We are men, created by God, the absolute God, in his image. And we will answer to him for how we live our lives. Moreover, God is the one who provides for our needs. He makes rain fall. Our government can't do that. He makes crops grow. Our government cannot do that. And he turns the hearts of kings. God gives us the government we have. Do not put your faith in princes nor in governments. And the state will turn out to be a cruel taskmaster in the end. Unless she learns to fear God. And finally, ease and freedom are empty gods also. No, they're demons which threaten our very existence. Our culture stands under the righteous wrath of God for the murders of babies. 
And we deserve every bit of the wrath to come. Perhaps if believers would stand up and prophesy as John the Baptist did, we would be hearing the same question that John did. And that question is, what are we to do? What you're, if, what you're saying is that we are in a, we're in a bad place. This, the wrath to come? Brood of vipers? This, this is not good. How, how, save us. What, what do we do? So, verse 10. So the people asked him, saying, what shall we do then? Preparing the way of the Lord is waking up people to their desperate need for him. And this means we need to preach the same message that John did. The need for repentance because of the greatness and evilness of our sin, the wickedness of our sin. Then by God's grace, men may turn from their sin and change their behavior. Remember back in verse 8, John said, Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Repentance and righteousness and holiness demand action. They require obedience. You cannot simply assent to all of this and not change what you do. Because what you do matters. And that's what you're judged on. What you do is what you're judged on. You cannot just say, what are we to do? And if John tells you what you're to do, like bear fruits worthy of repentance, you can't just not do that and think that you're going to get out of the position that you're in. Repentance, righteousness, and holiness demand action. God does not save us to uncleanliness. We can't say... God is God. His wrath is coming. But I can keep sitting. That's okay. You can't say that. That's not okay. When God saves us, He changes us. He gives us a new heart. He makes us like Him. He makes us holy. He makes us righteous. And He teaches us to do His works in our world by His Spirit. So the people ask, what do we do? And John tells them, verse 11. He answered and said to them, He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none, and he who has food, let him do likewise. God is a merciful and gracious God. John's message is a message to turn from selfishness to compassion, from self-service to serving others. To do deeds of mercy and kindness. To share. And next he talks to some specific classes of individuals. Tax collectors and soldiers, verses 12 to 14. Then tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. And likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said to them, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely, and be content with your wages. Now both of these exhortations are applying the same principle found in the general exhortation. When, he, when the people said, what are we to do? John said, 
Share your, if you have extra, share. If, if you have food, give to those who are hungry. Be merciful. Show kindness. When, when, when John talks to the tax collectors and the soldiers, all he's doing is applying the same principle to their particular situation. The same principle is being applied in the general exhortation to these specific vocations. And there's an excellent precept that we can gain from this. And that is this. There is an exhortation for everybody toward repentance. Okay, now the Jews as a nation, they thought of tax collectors as a group as no good. If you're going to be a tax collector, you're written off. That's the way the Jews thought, because tax collectors collected money for who? The Romans. Who were the Romans? They were the enemy. And John is saying, no, your sin is the enemy, not the Romans. That's, that's different. So when tax collectors come to John and say, what are we supposed to do? John says, stop sinning. Love your neighbor. He doesn't say, stop being a tax collector. And the same thing is true for the soldiers. Who, who were soldiers in this time? They were soldiers of the government. Was the government applauded by the Jews? No. Is, is soldiery a lawful employment? Yes. When the soldiers say, what are we to do? John doesn't say, stop being a soldier. He says, stop sinning as a soldier. Don't commit the sins that you are enticed to commit. Because every calling or situation in life, in this world, has its own temptations. And every calling or situation can have the golden rule applied to it. Well, there, there are some vocations which are just unlawful. Prostitution. No. No. Bad. Don't do it. Uh, but among lawful vocations, God has a way for us to fulfill our callings, which is righteous and holy. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And to put it biblically, love your neighbor as yourself. This is, as we know from Jesus' teaching, the great commandment, second only to the command to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And in this is tremendous wisdom. And this, combined with John's powerful message, caused the people to start to wonder if John was the Messiah. Verse 15. Now, as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not. So people, this, this is new. This is something different. And this is good. They, they, they see God's hand in this. But John didn't leave them without instruction on this matter. And he answers their inquiries. Verse 16. John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So in effect, John's saying, A, okay, yes, I'm doing something different here. I'm baptizing. With water. This is this is a different. This baptism towards repentance. But I'm not even worthy. Me, the guy who's who's doing something here, has a message from God. I am not worthy to loosen the 
scandal strap of Jesus. I, there's somebody coming. I'm warning you that God is coming here and he will judge sin. See, John's saying, I am only a messenger. And if you think I've got a message, just wait till the real thing gets here. I'm just, I'm just the scout. God is showing up in the flesh. He says, my baptism is with water. I bring repentance. But when he comes, he's going to put the fire in you and bring the very presence of God down on you. And there will be a great reckoning. Remember that wrath to come I was talking about a minute ago? A minute ago? That's the stuff you've got to look forward to. Because when he comes, that's what is about to happen. Because that is what he is coming for. Verses 17 and 18. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And with many other exhortations he preached to the people. The wheat and the chaff. Jesus is coming. And we anticipate Christmas during Advent. The one thing that we need to remember is the relationship between Advent and repentance. Jesus is God and God is holy. Our God is pure. He's perfect. He will not countenance sin in his presence. God hates iniquity in the church. God hates sin. And God is absolute truth and light, and in his presence, sin and sinners are consumed entirely. The chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is a message our society desperately needs to remember, because we have forgotten this. We think that God is impotent because the church has failed to remind us of God's holiness and power. We have failed to honor Him first in our own lives. We have failed to confess and repent and turn from our sins. We have allowed the lies of the devil and the world to take root in our minds. And James says that he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. And this is a faithful rendering of the modern church in America. It's like a wave of the sea, tossed and driven by the wind. We must confess this impotent and weak faith. We must turn to the Bible, to God's word. We must found our lives in the light of his revelation. We must declare to the ends of the earth that there is only one God, and there is only one path to reach him, and that is Jesus Christ. He is Lord of heaven and earth. All authority in heaven and earth is in his hands. And we must confess our sin and be holy because repentance is the preparation for the coming of our Lord. And while Advent has a close relationship with repentance, we're not left with only the wrath to come and no hope. 
On the contrary, Advent and hope are also closely knit together. Jesus is coming. He will deliver the righteous. He will gather the wheat into the barn. We have no reason to fear anything or any false god or social pressure because we fear the true God and he will vindicate the righteous. And his son does the work of cleaning out the barn. We don't need to fear wickedness. God will judge it. When we encounter evil and sin and wickedness, we shouldn't be afraid of it. Because God has already conquered it and he will deal with it in his own good time. We don't need to fear. On the contrary, we should show compassion on sinners and warn them of the wrath to come. Because perchance they might repent and turn to Jesus and find hope. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, let's pray. and gracious God. He shows grace to sinners. Real sinners. People who commit real sins. Perhaps you have doubted. Jesus forgives. Turn to him in faith. Turn to Jesus and to his word. The scriptures. Because he is fully revealed there. Perhaps you have fallen into sin. Repent. Recognize it for what it is. Sin is sneaky. It likes to put on airs. It likes to sound or look good. But it is ugly and its wages are death. Confess it, turn from it, and run to Jesus. He welcomes sinners with open arms and pins their guilt on his cross. Every week we are reminded of this glorious truth at this table where Jesus pins all the blessings and graces of salvation on our hearts by means of bread and wine. Come, eat, enjoy, give thanks, and praise God. You are forgiven. The body of Christ broken for us. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWinkle through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.